Hello, and welcome to this morning's program and afternoon, depending on where you are. Thank you for joining us. I'm Liz Brailsford, President and CEO of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Our program today features Amal Gurjata Zahara Shamaiska, Associate Professor of uh, at the Faculty of International and Political Relations, Jagiellonian University in Poland. Her latest publication, Global Political Leadership in Search of Synergy, explores shifts in global leadership in a globalized system. You can read it for free by following the link on the screen that you see now. She is joined in conversation by Robert Kisak, Associate Professor at Barcelona's Institute of International Studies. They'll be discussing global power games, leadership crises, and how our world is shifting in the 20th, 21st century. I can't think of a more pertinent or critical topic in our uh, world today. We have some fellow councils with us today, so I want to give a hearty thanks to the Phoenix Committee on Foreign Relations, Global Santa Fe, the World Affairs Council of Austin, and Jagiellonian University for promoting this webinar. Finally, a special thanks to our institutional partners who help us thrive far into the future, AT&T, Dallas Baptist University, Dallas College, Harwood International, Haynes & Boone, Lockheed Martin, NEC Corporation of America, PNC Bank, and Sidley Austin. And then also, if you're not a member of the World Affairs Council, we need you with us. We provide a forum for discussion and fair conversation, and we want you to be part of the conversation because as we know what happens there matters here, and we need you as a member. Go to our website at dfwworld.org. Uh, for more information. And while I'm on that note, we are in the middle of our annual fund campaign. And this year's annual fund campaign is in support of civil discourse, something that we need more than ever right now. And so by engaging with the council, you know firsthand how powerful collective curiosity can be. So please help us broaden our impact by donating at dfwworld.org. And now I'm gonna pass it over in a moment to our uh, uh, moderator for today, Robert Kisak. Robert is an associate professor at Barcelona's Institute of International Studies and has been at the university since 2008. His research focus on foreign policy of the U European Union and uh, international organization is what he does. His book, Pursuing Effective Multilateralism, was one of the first in this field. He is currently leading IBEI's participation in the Horizon 2020 Engage project and within the Jean Monnet networks. Robert, I welcome you. I welcome both of you and I look forward to this conversation and I'm going to let you take it away from here. Thanks again to all. Liz, thank you very much for that warm welcome. So I'm going to uh, let us get straight on with it. It gives me great pleasure to be here with um, Margot Jata. I've read her book, uh, the new book, Global Political Leadership in Search of Synergy. And what I think we're going to do is simply kick off with the questions, um, if that's okay, Margaret. So let's begin with what I think is probably, given the fact that most people who are listening won't have had the privilege I have, which is to read all 311 pages of it. So maybe given that it's a very long, detailed book, it's got four very substantive chapters in which you cover issues to do with climate change, COVID, 
the rising global middle class and the issue of Holocaust remembrance and denial. Would you be able to begin, please, by summing up what is the sort of main message that you would like to give to the audience out there today and, and give us an overview briefly of the book that's taken uh, considerable time to read, uh, to, to write, and it is a very, very interesting read. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, let me uh, first say that I'm uh, very much honored to, to, to be here to connect with a world um, uh, um, affairs council community. And uh, thank you very much for, 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 for your kind introdu introduction and for reading the book. Uh, and um, yeah, I would like to say that um, my first observation that gave like may the idea for 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 this book was that uh, i was reading a lot about the transformation um, of leadership um, um uh, within business communities within business sphere because uh, obviously, obviously globalization gave rise to 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 the spread of global um, uh, commercial institutions so corporation they became a leviathans of globalization so this you know, uh, provided a lot of um, debate about how this changes leadership. Yeah, and I um, was curious to um, to see the conclusions of the similar discussion about the sphere of politics. Yeah, concerning the sphere of politics, concerning the sphere of, of public good, because this this is something which we all are all interested in, and all, all kind of social institutions underwent this 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 trans transfer, transmission, transformation from local to global. And I was very surprised to find out that uh, we know very little about this. Yeah, and um, this was my starting point, and um, I I started to explore this topic because what we usually how we the way we usually cover global leadership, political leadership, is by telling stories about leaders, which is yeah, which is an obvious, very traditional way, very good way, because it 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 gives us inspiration. You know, the the color of great leaders uh, is, is is something that um, that can 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 mobilize your own imagination. So so this is a good way, but uh, it tells us very little of the connection between structural forces that guide globalization, global processes, and actually how leaders should behave, yeah? How they should react, how they, sh they, they should really lead their societies, yeah? So, um, that's what uh, uh, this this was my major point, um, and as you said, uh, the book is composed of um, four um, chapters, uh, and um, they cover uh, a lot of theoretical um, analysis about leadership about what we understand um, uh, um, by this uh, term, because this term is, is, is a contested one. And leadership is understood here as 
really an umbrella concept for very different thing. And what that I mean by global is that, uh, you know, a perspective that covers what, what's happening between societies, yeah? And also what covers, um, that covers what's happening within societies. Because this social transformation, that the, the role of, of individuals, that the, the fact how power is shifting, yeah, from from very hierarchic, uh, hierarch, uh, um, um, hierarchically organized structures to to, to more dispersed, uh, fragmented structures of power, how um, globalization and revolution in communication and transform uh, trans uh, transportation gave means um provided means um to citizens to 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 make their voice heard so 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 this this is um um yeah these are phenomena that uh take part in the leadership activities today so let me just 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 uh, shortly summarize um what i said so i've covered like four different areas of, of, of practice, yeah, of practical um, uh, leadership relations, which is one is, is, is very much connected with, with uh, geopolitical transformation. And as you mentioned, this is climate change. Uh, um, uh, and the, the story, the history of climate change negotiation um, is uh, organized around the yeah, formal state-to-state, um, uh, -state, government-to-government um, negotiations, but also involving international organizations, um, activists, civil society organizations. Um, um, so it, 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 it gives you, in my view, it creates the, you know, it gives you the sense of the scale of this leadership processes um, uh, that are taking part within this area. There is a chapter, uh, a, a case study on COVID, COVID-19, um, because yeah, the question about resilience of our societies and uh, of our uh, government structure is, is, is a is a fundamental question we try to answer um, now, whether our political organizations are prepared really to, to, to face the challenges of the, of the global era. And um, um, global pandemics provided some answers to that, yeah. Um, and there is a, um, a chapter, um, I was very much interested in this phenomenon of, of, of uh, forming global middle class. Yeah, so individual empowerment, the fact that uh, uh, 40 years ago, at the beginning of this of this period of hyper-globalization, um, uh, um, nearly half of the global population uh, lived under the condition the, the condition of 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 um, uh, um, of extreme poverty. And now this changed. Now you know global middle class uh, is um, as numerous of as, uh, as three. 
1.6 billion. We don't know exactly because pandemics, um, of course, changed the picture here and stopped these processes. But but still, this is a huge process uh, that um, yeah that 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 brings um, consequences uh, that are uh, are felt in many um, many like sectors of leadership relationships. Um, and my fourth um, chapter is about Holocaust, is about sense-making uh, as a major um, leadership activity. Yeah, we need leaders to, to be able to better capture uh, the complexities of the world, to better understand the world. So we need their story and we need their credibility to be able to actually believe in the story they 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 they, they tell us so for me this example of of um uh, of holocaust being increasingly questioned is a fascinating phenomenon and um yeah i'm sort of asking the question whether you know whether historical historical amnesia is something we have to face. Whether this is a necessary part of the process of 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 how history affects societies. Thank you, Marga. I think there's so many things there, and I have a number of questions prepared, and I I will go back to a number of issues. I think especially the question of resilience and how that links to leadership, also the idea of to what extent there is a problem or a concern with, with levels of participation. Your, your question about global middle south, so the, the global middle class uh, really touches on, on that. Maybe I would like to make an observation about your cases. And I think what's interesting is because uh, the cases on one hand, are the chapters that have a case that's a substantial part towards the end, are trying to look at different dimensions of leadership. And at the same time, when I look at it from my perspective, being more interested in sort of international organization and politics and have much less of a knowledge for the literature and business and, and leadership studies, I was looking at your four cases and trying to think about them as cases per se, rather than linking them to the types of uh, insights we can get from leadership. And so when I looked at them, I saw climate is very interesting because it's essentially the idea that we need leadership in order to change behavior, a profound change in human behavior across all 8 billion, which will soon in the next 25 years become 10 billion plus people. We need to, such an incredible amount of societal transformation. And that's a forward-looking concern. Holocaust remembrance, in a sense, I thought it was to do with actually continuity, because you're, you talk about the importance of remembrance and denial, and sense making, and your chapter is is a story, uh, in a very detailed analytical story of the way in which it's being eroded. So in that sense, you're not looking about future change, but you're looking at how to create continuity. So when I see those two, I see a, a variation in terms of what that leadership must do. Continuing on that sort of um, line of thinking, COVID is a we would probably be able to record it, regard it as a, a parenthesized event. We can now look back at least at the most serious part with hindsight. And so that again is, is a fixed case study. And our final one, the global middle classes is, as you say, and I'd like to come back to this later, 
you know, a, a structural change and transformational change where essentially, if I may paraphrase what the book talks about, it would be to say that the significance of global middle class status is that people have time on their hands to start being politically motivated to do things. And that, that leadership is therefore the trigger to mobilize because when one lives in a degree of, of low income, of, of, of poverty, there's simply no time in the day. One is simply working so hard, be it in an underpaid profession uh, or in a subsistence labor uh, agricultural situation, to have that space to become politically active. So from those perspectives, I wonder, would you have, did it occur to you to think of them as four very different ways of seeing the problems of, of global politics, a future-orientated one for change, a future-orientated one for continuity, one that's completely finished and we can look back at it more scientifically, and one that's about transformation and change, which is not issue-related, but it's to do with constituency-related. Yeah, thank you very much for all, all these reflections. Um, and yeah, my intention was to, you know, to to to, to analyze this um, phenomena from 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 very different angles and say that there is no such thing like one, like uh, one thing, one definition for 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 global political leadership because politics is uh, in its essence is 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 you know about distribution of of knowledge and distribution of of resources and there are very different things connected to these processes of distribution and of course you have to have vision you have to have persuasion you have to have resources of power um you have to be able to negotiate uh, your 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 purposes so so you know all like options, a variety of options are on the table. And uh, what I wanted to, 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 to show also, what I wanted to manifest, that uh, global political leadership um, happens not only on the level of, of transnational organization or um, transgovernmental, um, in the transgovernmental sp space, not only between, you know, representatives of of, of state power, but also ordinary people increasingly either shaping this, either shape this sphere, like in in a structural way, like in, uh, in the example of of, of uh, rising global middle class, or individuals that somehow found the leverage to you know to tell their story to 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 to, to find a way to you know to, to move um, things forward uh, because they have they have access to communication challenge uh, channels for example or they have access to resources or they have access to global imagination like 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 rock stars uh, or people who are experts yeah and and whose knowledge is is needed in a, in a moment of crisis and this is global because the, I, I would say that um, that um, the phrase or the frame uh, that was very important for 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 like connecting all these variables was global public good. Yeah. So my answer for what constitutes global political leadership is idea and efforts and activities oriented at uh, supporting 
or pursuing global public good, which is again is a very broad broad com um, concept. But we all instinctively understand what 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 this is about. This is about you know our like physical boundaries for 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 development and and survival like climate change for example like like um biodiversity like um water availability like uh peace international peace or economic stability we all need these things and the thing is that you cannot bring them to the world to you know to the, to your region to your nation in a unilateral way, yeah? Even if you are superpower, you cannot, you know, make things to be organized because you that you know that you've got this preeminence in 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 the military potential, for example. Yeah. So it, it just doesn't work like that. Because of globalization, I would we we could say because of this phase of globalization because obviously globalization started a long time ago and even you know age of discoveries age of commerce from 15th century to, to 18th century uh, some people say that that this was the, the the first you know truly illustration of globalization but now we 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 live in a moment when these processes that started they 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 take um yeah the dynamics only grows yeah so uh so we have to react um uh, in a more decisive way and probably you know our reactions um have to be smart in a way that they we have to predict consequences of our own actions uh, because uh yeah it it, it happens very often uh, and that that what we consider today a long-term strategies or long-term investments are just you know consequences we have to bear of something we we, we didn't you know think through from the beginning so there is this this the saying on wall street that uh, long-term investment is a short-term speculation that went terribly wrong and you know some of the processes we, we we can observe around us political in essence connected to security to international security or, or social coherence polarization populism um you name it uh that 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 they have yeah they belong to this category thank you Maybe, um, I know definitely some things there I'd like to come back to later, but in order to give the people watching perhaps a, a kind of summative um, picture of the work, I would like to know um, whether you think I am accurately summing up your conclusion, because I thought your conclusion was fairly pessimistic, insofar as states uh, are turning inwards rather than turning outwards, uh, that these global global public goods, which are so central to your analysis, are being uh, less easily found. They're being more contested, and cooperation in order to provide them is increasingly difficult. And one might say that where there is leadership on a political level, uh, it's often, or not often, but we see it frequently, uh, that it's driving 
mobilization of support towards more national orientated perspectives. And I think everyone in the United States right now watching New Hampshire knows what that's, that's happening and it's happening in many countries as well. So in that sense, uh, is that an accurate summary? Are you overall pessimistic with what you found from, from your analysis of your four cases and your, your macro overview of the state of global leadership in the present day? Uh, yeah, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid so. Uh, yeah, because uh, the, the, the paradox, I think, is in the fact that, and this is not Harari's quote, uh, I don't remember whether I quote uh, the, him in the book or not, but but it 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 is it was striking to me when I when I've heard this that we live in probably the best time for the human race for for for, for, for the best time ever because more people are, are dying of eating too much than of the, eating too little, and you more likely to commit suicide that die of, of of infectious disease and uh, you know this this um, um, level of violence and brutality and terrorism is is decreasing despite of you know what, what's filled in the the, the, the news channels uh, but overall um, our metrics are better than in un, any other um, uh, period of um, of history but yet there is there is so much pessimism around yeah there, there there is so much uncertainty about what, what what the future brings yeah so we've built this mighty technological um empires and now we're afraid of ai of of the harmful possible harmful, harmful influence uh, of this new technologies so 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 there is a lot of paradoxes connected to um to the present moment because we we fail to figure out how to organize our political contracts, how to reorganize global political structure so we could respond better for the challenges of globalization. And of course, uh, we, 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 we can analyze, I'm you know, not brave enough, enough to, to, to propose any kind of solutions because there's many smart people are working on them. Um, and they, until now, at least they seem to be seem to be failing but we can analyze this gap or the 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 this um, yeah reasons for why to be um yeah fear of of what what the future uh, um, why to be afraid of what the future brings on many levels so so first of all this is there is a sphere of of geopolitics yes this is the moment of, of, of transition. And we know it. this is a global power shift. And um, this is something fundamental because this is the first time in 500 years when uh, actually Western power is being threatened by non-Western power. Yeah, because before we, we've got British empire, yeah, and then after... Uh, the beginning of, of 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 the 20th century, World War II, um, Winston Churchill, 
Churchill call out for 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 Americans to uh, um, to come and and save the old world and and new era uh, of hegemony as the international relation likes to describe it begin. But the, the, this 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 leadership, American leadership that that lasted that that long, was very very well legitimized by this act of you know helping this this. Um, and this idea of a community of interest and values. Uh, so this transatlantic link was vital for organizing the whole rest. But now, you know, after the rise of the rest, so after the um, after China's rise, we've got a major competitor. And honestly, we don't know the script, yeah, because the Western scripts are known. Um, because there is a continuation, yeah. We 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 like sort of have always read the same books, or always read the same philosophy, yeah. Always read the same with Chinese. This is not that obvious, and this competitive pressure is growing. So this is one thing. This is professed to what or what is happening between nations, and there are also. Uh, fundamental transformation within um, within societies, so so, so within nations, uh, and I would say that um, crisis of authority is is of sub substance, uh, and then leadership gap in terms of uh, um, young people being reluctant of taking positions of power that. You know, in, um, in 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 consequence, this impact negatively the quality of political class, and then there is also lack of shared story. So we not sure where we heading. the The major story of liberalism and globalization as a transmitter of liber liberalism is in trouble. Is in trouble in terms of the message, and in, is in trouble in terms of the medium, and we 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 haven't come up with with another story to to replace this one. Thank you. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to um, first of all put a question to you, which has come in from Raymond Tamini, and I'm going to add on to it a, a reflection of my own. So the first question that has come from a viewer is uh, what are or should be the characteristics of a global leader? And just to link what you've just said to something we were mentioning before, and also to bring in Raymond's sort of point as well, I would ask this, I was wondering when you have your, you know, your, your, your analytical lens focused on the global middle class, this is a new new phenomenon in the sense of people who had never before been in a position to be mobilized. And that links very much to what you've just been saying about uh, the transition between established scripts and new scripts with uh, the global south assuming more and more of a, a prominent role in the global production consumption of, of goods and also the wealth that is associated with it. But in that sense, do you think that in the countries of the, of the Northern Hemisphere, of the Global North countries, perhaps not the United States, but there's still positive population growth, but many European countries, Japan as well, for example, are experiencing uh, quite considerable aging. And therefore, to what extent is leadership necessary to galvanize 
youth mobilization in terms of a disenfranchised uh, constituent part of every society, which seems to be more and more uh, less interested in, in, in the narrative, less interested in, in, in politics in general. So maybe that's a, that's a different sort of problem because you're trying to balance the, the sort of more stable voting, more sort of older population with a younger population that maybe hasn't even voted despite having two or three, four chances in their lifetime. So in that sense, maybe you could also address Raymond's point, which is what are the good characteristics of a global leader? Because are they, are they to do with galvanizing a global movement or do we need to begin at the national level and have a strong basis for support and, and, a, and a, a legitimacy, a mandate to change things that comes from national constituencies through national leaders onto the global stage? Thank you very much, Ramon, and thank, uh, thank, uh, thanks to you, uh, Robert, for, for bringing this question. Uh, yeah, this qualities of the global leader, this is a tricky one, because I've mentioned uh, before this authority crisis. Uh, yeah, authority is, is, is about making people to, to do what they would wouldn't do otherwise without coercion. So it's not about domination, it's about uh, persuasion, it's about negotiations, about creating vision that is attractive, so soft power, power of attraction. Uh, but also it has a very normative, very strong normative component embedded in the concept uh, not only you know to tell people what to do, but to actually tell people what is the right thing to do. Yeah, what is the right thing to do? And there are many sources of of authority. So knowledge, position in the structure, structure, uh, like uh, heroism of some some kind, some kind of moral authority. But when you think about the the actual figure actual you know decision maker actual leader that could 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 be a role model for 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 the whole globe so it is really hard to think about one yeah dalai lama may be the case uh, but you know try to with his like uh features and philosophies try to apply this to 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 to, to politics very hard yeah. So, um, so I would say that uh, we still, and this is one of the problems, we still uh, organized our political thinking around this, you know, short-term term cycles of um, uh, local politics, of na national politics in the Western world, because because this is what we do. This is how, you know, the, the, the world, the, the, the institutional framework is organized. And, and, and that's good. That's the essence of democracy. But at the si same time, we are trying to, to uh, come up with solutions for really long-term problems of global change of global, you know, climate mitigation, of, you know, uh, fighting poverty and so on and so forth. And um, like these frameworks, they somehow stand in contradiction, yeah? Because in order to win your elections, you have to, you have to think in terms of, of immediate gratification for your constituents, yeah? 
So you're not gonna offer, so you're not that, it is not that likely scenario that you're gonna offer them, uh, you know, um, gratification in te 10 years time, for example. Yeah, because this is not attractive. A part of the fact that the majority of the people they don't want to hear the truth about reality. Yeah, so 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 that's why we 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 shifted in this era of post politics in a way when politics increasingly is not the scene, not that much a scene when we debate uh, vital issues. But it's a part of, of, of entertainment, yeah? It's a part of, 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 you know, making yourself as a candidate more and more attractive for the people. So answering, you know, um, shortly for, for, for this question, I would say that, that global leadership in politics um, can, uh, can be described as uh, leadership that that takes into account that there is this wider world it 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 exists it it has to be taken into you know into consideration and it is that we have to react and we have to like apply strategic strategic thinking uh in in to to to, to what we do like on a daily basis, yeah. And answering your question um, about, um, yeah, you've been reluctant. I, I I just want to show you some data which I find really interesting related to 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 um, to this, yeah, to this issue. Uh, very interesting research. I don't know um, if it's visible. Um, can you confirm? Yeah, thank you. So when you when you ask uh, students of very prestigious um, universities in the United States whether they 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 they, they would like to pursue any kind of um, uh, political career or public office between now and the the time that, that they will be fifty years old, only nine percent nine percent say that they would. Yeah. And people are simply not that interested in in politics, not that interested in this idea of 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 bringing change, of bringing public good, yeah. And this is connected with the wider reality of um, trust um, uh, being, you know, the, the the decreasing level of trust. So, for example, in the United States. Uh, Trust in public institutions is the, at the lowest level since the since 1979, and 1979 was was the first year that the Gallup started actually started to measure um, this um, yeah this 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 relation of citizens toward um, institutions yeah and uh, millennials yeah these data tells about millennials because um, they are already outnumbers baby boomers in uh, in uh, in the united states or they are just going to outnumber so so this is the leading class yeah so so this is the the majority of the voters and we clearly see them withdrawing um so yeah so so that's the leadership gap i i've 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 mentioned and 
it's going to be more difficult because of this intergenerational relations, yeah? Because when we observe political class, there are not that many millennials. And, you know, the, the good illustra illustration for, 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 for this pattern can be, can be uh, yeah, American presidential elections. So, so and, and, and age range of the candidates. Uh, but this might be extreme case, but still it seems that you know the, the the world has has shifted and expectation of the of the young people shifted and there is the there is a big difference between um between what what the older population middle age population wants and how they engage in order in engage in institutional politics in order to get what they want and what what, what, what the younger people what they think and how they don't want to actually engage because if you want to you know change the rules of the game you you need to be part of the game and it seems that they they don't they prefer not to be be part of the game they prefer to be just silent cost, uh, contesters yes thank you thank you very much Maria. i wanted to come back in i had a specific question for you when you uh, referred to the post-politics. So I'm glad you've raised it. And I'll, I'll put it in right now. And I think it's more perhaps a, a tangential point rather than a head-on um, phrase, sort of not to, to challenge you on, on the point. But I wondered if the basic premise, and I think you've articulated it very well just in the last couple of months, that uh, there's a millennial class, uh, young people are simply not interested in politics. Okay, so where does that leave the leadership issue? And if the leadership's leaders are supposed to be identified within politics, we have a problem. I wonder to what extent are we just looking in the wrong place? If you talk to, for example, or if you look to social media, and we're not looking at leadership, but likership, how much do people uh, mobilize support become influential and can send signals about normative questions about what to do or not. There are huge data and there's lots of evidence. There are people out there, but they're just not in normal politics. So I wonder, do you think that the, the leadership that you're looking for and you've identified as absent, something similar, not identical, but something similar could be found if you looked to social media and saw likership, i.e. that which is to promote perhaps a more short-termist, but less substantive kind of narrative buy-in type of thing. But there are still people out there who are who have followers and that those followers identify people as leaders. Mm, yeah, thank you very much for this question. Very interesting, uh, interesting one. Well, um, certainly there are people there and, you know, social media is part of the problem and it might be part of the solution as well. Yeah, because obviously this is not natural environment for, 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 for many, especially young people, but not all. Yeah, this is natural environment for, for voters today. And people, um, you know, um, uh, designing political campaigns, they, they, they just know it and they use, use these channels um, uh, widely. And, but I'm afraid that the data we have um they indicate that the nature of political uh, communication 
in in social media in in, in cyberspace in general is uh, has not the same like I would say quality in the sense of ability to influence the reality. Yeah, these are commentaries. Of course, you can organize a huge political movement like 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 Greta Thunberg, for example. Uh, she managed to do this, but uh, still, decision making process is very strongly connected with old formula of institutionalized institutionalized politics. So unless you're ready to go and fight there, yeah, you 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 can you know gain attention, you can attract people, you can have your supporters, but you cannot really, you know, like introduce real change. This is not how social change is 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 um is being made in, in in my view so yeah this is an arena yeah and we we see the potential of these voters but how to mobilize them i don't know however you know we recently um we 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 we, we had elections in poland and actually this was really uplifting to see these long lines of young people students i live in a university city krakow so so they were waiting to to to, to vote for for several hours you know queuing in front of the uh, of the voting centers so you know maybe Maybe that the, 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 there will be a change. The change may be just at the corner. It just we 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 don't uh, we're not able to capture this analytically uh, uh, yet. Thank you. Well, that's that's very interesting. I'm going to um, I want to maybe enlarge a little bit on the, the the point we just made, and I'm also going to bring in a question from Bob Pagan, who's who's posted one online, and I'm also going to wrap up with one of the sort of central, not criticisms, but a, a really sort of counterpoint, which I'd be very interested to hear your voice, uh, your opinion on. And we have probably 10 minutes left overall, including a little bit of a final message from this. So I'll put all of those things together very succinctly, I hope, and then uh, we'll turn the word over. So I was wondering, this idea that uh, the social media is a place where you may find temporal or, or short-lived uh, sort of connectivity, and it's not the same as, as real politics. I noticed in the book that the definition of who is a leader is enormously broad. There were expert scientists in the section of the Holocaust. There were scholar researchers as well. There were superstars. There are media, entrepreneurs, business leaders. And this term, at different parts in the book, you have a very, very broad definition of who is a leader, or who is a potential leader. So in that, I wonder whether you've concentrated today your talk on very much on politics and uh, prime ministers, presidents, people who can mobilize people at the ballot box, but your own definition in the book is very, very broad. So in that sense, I don't know why one couldn't also incorporate people who have 20, 000, 20 million followers, whatever sort of place 
in, in, in a sports arena or an entertainment arena they are because they send messages about right and wrong behavior. So that's the first point about fitting into your larger narrative. And I think Bob's question here, or if I may, Bob Hagen, uh, his question is what country, what leader today is showing some of these positive characteristics? So that again is linking us back to your stronger sort of narrative of today's talk, which is to focus on political leadership, even though the book itself is much broader. So those two things, uh, sort of just a kind of rejoiner in the question. I want to pose a, a kind of a final point to wrap up on. And it is as follows. You talk about it in the book, but I'm sure a lot of the people would have heard about it as well. The importance of resilience and resilience as being a watchword of the 21st century. The idea essentially that in a world with increasing risk, a world in which there is much less certainty about what will occur. Could it be environmentally driven? It could be uh, from political processes and so forth. Um, that it's increasingly important to stop relying on the government and to start relying on more localized or even individual forms of uh, coping, coping mechanisms. And that resilience is therefore a positive, necessary and important uh, sort of social ability, social capital ability in the 21st century. Does that, the pushing and promotion of resilience, make leadership less important? Because we are training and we are expecting people not to turn to someone else for advice, not to look for some kind of set of answers, but to look from within or perhaps a smaller community. In that sense, I wonder if our movement towards resilience is undermining your call for more um, leadership. Very briefly, because there is another question, and you may have seen it, it is as follows. Why does continuous social media use to either lead to either stable or unstable mental health in millennials worldwide? Influences followers' realities of cyber globalization. Okay, that's a very broad question to do with uh, sort of an open-ended assessment of, of how uh, perhaps media is not simply media, but it's perhaps, I, I have an actual answer to this, which I think is the fact that you can never, ever um, be outside of the loop of information. So in previous times, one could be blissfully ignorant of what one was not missing out on. If you were excluded, you were excluded to without your knowledge. But on many social media functions, exclusion is something which you are included in. You are an outsider because you are purposely not put into the sort of the information that, or the, the, the media posting that, that has left you out. So you're, you're permanently aware of being both an outsider and an insider of being an outsider. So it's a very interesting circle. But anyway, let's push that on one side. Uh, we have Bob's question, which country to do well? My major point, is resilience going to be making leadership harder? Over to you, Margaret, please. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so let me uh, connect your, the first question with, with the last one. So the one about resilience and uh, the one about uh, leadership and, and politics, formal, not formal politics. So, so um, uh, yeah, I, I think my point about uh, institu institutionalized politics um, referred to the way we could mobilize you know, young population to better express their needs um, under the condition of, you know, um, aging populations of, of Europe, not that much United States, but 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 Europe. So you, you, you need to find a channel of transmission. Yeah, you need to find a. But still, it has to be 
connected to formal politics, but it is not to say that leadership is limited to politics, obviously, because at the essence of the whole concept is, is influence. It's, you know, it's, it, of course, it's, it is connected with power, but there are different kinds of powers. And um, uh, yeah, this is, this is the book which I like, uh, Moses' name, the end of power, and he actually describes uh, how power changed and how you know even with 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 you know full reservoirs of this tra traditional power like 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 military economy, um, uh, you 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 not always able to 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 meet your uh, like meet meet your aims, uh, but yeah, leadership takes place on like every level of social relations. This is a deeply humanistic phenomenon, yeah? Uh, so uh, resilience is, is you, you, I would say that you build resilience within societies with leadership, not without it. They are not, you know, in contradiction. So you need more leadership. You need more, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not, that there's one leader, you know, the structure of leadership relations, not that the leader always lead followers and there are people who follow. It depends on the situation. So, you know, the, 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 there is a lot of exchange. And when you find yourself in a situation where your like profile applies better, you 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 take a lead. But then after in other situation you follow, we've got many identities. So so we can find many you know spaces to to exercise our leadership. Uh, so that's states, yeah, because um so yeah, but I'll answer the, the question about actual leaders around uh I wouldn't indicate one but i would say that um what is being increasingly important in part of this resilience is ability to you know to cope cooperate and and form um alliances yeah and what happened uh after uh russian aggression of ukraine so how you know Ukraine and President Zelensky actually, you know, resisted um, the, the the aggression and how the world, Western world, especially the United States, especially by the administration, reacted by 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 you know the solidarity creating this solidarity with with other Western government. That's yeah, that was an impressive moment and a moment of leadership to me. Well, thank you very much for this important conversation. Like I said in the beginning, I just can't think of a more critical topic than global leadership right now. So we really appreciate both of your insights and expertise. Thank you for joining us from overseas and community members. Thank you for your questions and for engaging with the council. We will see you next time. And thanks again to all.